What I'd like to do today is just share some reflections on the Sacred Heart in, in kind of a, a context of an age and a time and how that impacts the, the future of, of our devotion, the future of our understanding of the Lord Jesus and the understanding of our lives. And so I'd like to go back a little bit and say that in the 17th century, 19 years before the appearance of the Sacred Heart to Margaret Mary Alacoque and Pere Lemonial in the chapel of the Visitation Convent, there was in Paris a very famous scientist. He was a man who, for those of you who are uh, good at math, he invented calculus. He is also the one who proved that the possibility of, there was a possibility of a vacuum. And, uh, and on the night of November 23rd, in 1654, he had a dramatic, a very dramatic conversion experience. And he wrote that experience down and he sewed it into his suit coat and he carried it with him then for the rest of his life. He died very young, but here is what he said about his conversion. He says, fire, 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 the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, not the God of the scientists or the philosophers, but the God, Jesus Christ, my God, God's word. And that fire of his conversion experience remained within him and within those who were affiliated and associated with him. And 20 years later, the great revelation of the Sacred Heart to Margaret Mary Alacoque exposed the fire of Pascal's conversion. It was an encounter with the God, Jesus Christ. So often, so often we acknowledge and we admit the divinity of Christ. But so often we also do not say, he is God, he is God. And he is also one of us, one of the most mysterious realities, the most mysterious reality in the whole story of creation, the whole story of the world. And as a matter of fact, that kind of incarnation of the Lord where he is God, but he is also one of us, is something that each one of us experiences in a lesser degree in our own lives. Because each of us receive the Spirit of the Lord when we receive one or all of the sacraments of the church. And as we do so, we are called to conform our lives to that sacrament so that we too become a godly presence and a human presence in the midst of the world. And so after then, this fire of the Sacred Heart to Margaret Mary Alacoque, we can think about Catholic doctrine, the obscurity of the doctrine of the hypostatic union, the meaning of the incarnation. Never again, after the appearance of the Sacred Heart, could re be reduced to a mere intellectual exploration 
or a theological proposition. After the events in the Byzantine, uh, the Byzantine chapel of Prelimonial, the reality of the incarnate Lord could now really clearly be understood by the human heart as the presence of God's fire in our lives. And so while the 17th century was inundated with theological controversies, and this is an important part, and actually the bishop made allusion to this in his homily this morning, there was a great deal of theological controversy swirling around in, the, in that part of the century, and they were controversies about grace. What did it mean for God to love humanity? Grace, you know, as a theological term, is simply a translation of the word love. And so the question was, how does God love us, and what does God's love do to us when he loves us? How does he save us through loving us? And try as they might, the intellectual bantering of the three protagonists, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, and the Jansenists, could not solve the great issue. And it became so entangled and so circular and so contentious that Rome finally said, you may no longer discuss this. The issue is closed until we wait a time when maybe something from the Lord will clarify for us what it is that it means. So it was God's secret because he alone knew the answer to that. And he chose to share that secret with Margaret Mary Alacoque and with Claude Columbiar. He did not share it with the theologians, but he shared it with the hearts of those who knew the secret of divine revelation who knew that secret as love, sacrifice, and surrender. The heart of God spoke to the open and willing human hearts that could know and understand his word and the truth of their own inner life of faith, in their humility, in their obedience to the church, in their openness and their love for others. These are the foundations of theological wisdom, and we can integrate the mysteries and the teachings of the church through the human heart, which is why the sacred heart in time made that available to us. This doesn't mean that devotion to the sacred heart rejects in any way, shape, or form the great theological traditions of the church. It simply explains those traditions and makes them available to the interiority of people everywhere and at all times. It is oriented toward conversion. Conversion goes deeper than the intellect. It takes root in the human heart. And as Pascal reminds us, it is fire. And so, therefore, the sacred scripture has always acknowledged that within the world and within the human person, there is a presence that always remains mysterious and yet powerful and active within the creatures of God's handiwork. Scripture chose to call that mysterious presence the heart, a center of power, a center of mystery.
In the book of Jonah, the Lord speaks of the inaccessibility of the depths of the sea, and he calls that the heart of the seas. The Hebrew word for heart is lib, meaning the center of being, the source of life flowing through the beings of the earth. It's such a powerful word that in the German language, lab, heart, becomes Leben, life. And so life, the root, the source, the core, the depth, flows through the human heart in its mysteriousness. And fact is, the great prophet Jeremiah says, nothing is more torturous than the human heart. Who can understand it? And St. Paul reminds us that in the time of judgment, the Lord will expose the hidden counsels of the heart. Christianity has always known that the secret of the depth and the source of faith lies deep in the mystery of God, the mystery of the divine. We have a tendency, and it's an unfortunate tendency, to think that the divine, somehow or other, is an imposition upon our life. Somehow or other, it's put down upon us, and it's given to us in some way, shape, or form as a concept, as a proposition. Nothing could be further from the truth, for on the cross, the heart of the Lord was pierced, and from there flowed blood and water. The source of sacramental power, and thus the source of eternal life. It comes not only through the mind, but again, as Pascal reminds us, the heart has reasons of its own that even we don't always understand, even we can't always comprehend, even we don't know exactly what that means, but we know that it stirs, we know that it is alive, and we can sense in some way, shape, or form that the fire of the heart of the Lord is at the presence in the center of the human person. 800 years ago, St. Gertrude the Great grappled with the mystery of the heart of the Lord. In book two of the Herald of Divine Life, she described her vision of the heart of Jesus and how he drew her deeper and deeper into the mystery of his life. St. Bonaventure in the 13th century and his Vetus Mystica says regarding the piercing of the Lord's heart, flowing from the secret abyss, the secret abyss of the Lord's heart as from a fountain, this stream gave sacraments of the church the power to confer the life of grace. Mechtild of Helfta, Gertrude's teacher and guide, said Jesus appeared to her and commanded her to love him ardently and to honor his sacred heart in the blessed sacrament as much as possible. For the sacred heart is the blessed sacrament, and the blessed sacrament is the God, Jesus Christ. And the God, Jesus Christ, in the fire of his heart, 
moves through the presence of the sacrament deep into the persons who receive him, not just to nourish our soul, but to nourish our personhood, all of us, in order to become the one whose blood flows through the veins of his disciples. And so, like Abraham, becomes the presence of the source in the midst of the world. In the Eucharist, we carry the heart of Jesus within us. I remember when I was young, and, 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 uh, which was a long time ago, in, um, in Catholic school, and I remember Sister Mary Lewis telling us, and it was when we were 11 years old or 12 years old or something, and she said, once you receive communion, don't genuflect when you go back to your seat because you are a tabernacle. You carry the living God inside of you. And as a little kid, you thought, what does that mean? And then you ask, what does it mean for the rest of your life? But it is the truth that the God who is your creator, exactly as Mary, the model of the church, bore him in her womb, the recipient of the Eucharist, bears him in their heart, in their soul, in their body. And as many, however, from these ancient experiences and these ancient insights, the great mystery of the faith needed time to ponder. Gertrude's testimony was not the end. Bonaventure's not the end. Mechtilde's not the end, but the church needed time to ponder and to assimilate these truths. And so the turbulent theological latter days in the world of the 17th century was the time that the Lord chose for this truth of his, the nature of his son to become more widely known and to manifest itself in the liturgical and devotional life of the church. We have had a strange bifurcation in the church in the last 50 years. We somehow or other think that there must be a very clear division, a stark division between liturgy and devotion. And that somehow or other, the liturgical acts of the church are rational ritual actions and devotional is somehow or other inferior and should not encroach upon the liturgical life of the church. It's not true. Devotion is how we integrate the liturgy, how we integrate the encounter with God into our daily lives, our affective lives, our experiential lives. We don't have to have some kind of something descend upon us and impose itself upon us. The very, the very truth of the heart of the Lord is that it flows from the inside to our inside and out again into the world. It is not necessarily mediated through the materiality of the ritual life of the church. 
but it is mediated by the church which dwells within the heart and the soul and the mind of every believing Catholic. The clarity of this feast comes from Jesus himself in his revelations to Margaret Mary. He spoke to Margaret Mary of his heart as an exchange of love between himself and his people. We might ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does it mean to love? A great question in the modern world. If you were to ask, stop in the street and ask a hundred different people what love meant, you may well get a hundred different definitions because the word has been so, so eviscerated of its real meaning that it can mean anything we want it to mean, from good to bad, from dark to light. Our modern culture has obfuscated the understanding of love to the extent that sometimes it carries very little meaning. However, in scripture, and deep in the experience of those who have followed and drawn close to the Lord, there is a meaning, a meaning and there is wonder in the word love. We can search the scriptures and find therein the foundation of all love. The revelation of God as Trinity, from the book of Genesis to the Gospel of John, talks to us, talks to us about the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that is so strong that it binds three persons into one God, so that God is creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. As Pascal said, the God, Jesus Christ, the word through whom all things were made, without him nothing came into being. He is the source and the font of our meaning, our existence, and our destiny. Being bound together in a relationship so powerful that the three are one, whole, complete, and on fire. Genesis then tells us that we are created in the image of this one God. Therefore, it tells us in more contemporary philosophical terms that we in some way participate in the divine being, the divine activity. We too are created, therefore, to be relational and created for a great and a burning love that unites us to those we love and who love us. You know, it's really interesting. All the struggles of the modern age, and certainly the 20th century has been one of the colossal train wrecks of history. But out of that, out of that has come in postmodern philosophy, which generally is seen as the enemy, but an insight, an insight that is deep within the human person. And eventually, even those who deny it become vulnerable to its truth and its power. And so even in postmodern philosophy, it tells us that the human person is not complete without another or the other. That somehow or other, we are never who we are supposed to become unless we are that way in relationship 
And if we think that relationships don't change people, that love does not transform, I defy any couple married 50 years to stand up and say, you know, I'm no different than I was the day we got married. He's had no impact on my life. She's had no impact on my life whatsoever. Doesn't happen. It's not true. Love transforms. It changes. And so when we talk about the love of the heart of the Lord, we're talking about transformation. Fire, 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 the conversion, the very conversion that Pascal spoke of so long ago, so long ago. So then what does it mean to love a person? We say we must be in relationship, we must love. Love is necessary for our whole humanity to become what it is supposed to be. How do we do this? And here is where the revelation to Margaret Mary becomes incredibly important for us. Because Jesus himself points through his heart. What is that symbol? It is fire. It is the crown of thorns. It is the cross. It is the heart. It is the story of human redemption. And what did it mean? How did Jesus choose to redeem us? How did that happen? He mounted the great symbol of the depth and the power of love. He mounted the cross. An interesting phenomenon. I know one time I was, it was in a church that had one of the, and not a crucifix, but you know, the modern resurrected crucifix. And the person responsible for doing it said, well, I just thought it was more cheerful than this maudlin suffering Christ. And I thought to, my, thought to myself, you just obliterated the whole mystery, you know? Because the crucifix is the symbol of the greatest act of love. The total emptying out of the self for the sake of the other. It is the symbol of how we discover the depth of our, we need not be crucified but we do need to be open and allow ourselves to be poured out for the sake of others. And the more we do that, the more fully human we become. I recall one time as preparing a couple for marriage and the girl was, had, she had just joined the church. And I asked her, I said, do you think you're ready for this? And she said, yes, I've decided that it's all right for me to become nothing because I give everything to my husband and my children. And I said, you know, that's wonderful, but you're gonna be surprised. It doesn't end up nothing. It ends up everything. Because in that total emptying of the self, you discover who you truly are, who God created you to be. And that's true in every walk of life. It's true in religious life. It's true in the priesthood. It's true in every Christian life. That sacrifice lies at the heart of love. And so 
he gave everything he had. And, and for him, it meant emptying himself of everything. And in, in the spirit of this, in the sixth century, there was a poet called Romanus Melodus. And he did something, he wrote something dramatic. He wrote, he put words into the mouth of Jesus on the cross in poetry form. And it says this, Jesus speaking through the poet Romanus, I descended as low as being cast its shadow. I looked into the abyss and I cried, Father, where are you? But I heard only the everlasting ungovernable storm. And when I looked from the immeasurable world to the eye of God, it was an empty socket without foundation that stared back at men. And eternity rested on chaos, gnawing at it, ruminating it. Because of Christ, we will never experience that depth of that terrible silence. That awful sense of abandonment as deeply as Jesus did on the cross. We may experience it, but it does not compare with his, for he is one with the Father in being, and yet he sees the empty socket, the ungovernable storm. He has died to the reality of who he is for your sake and for mine. We may well suffer but we will always know that chaos has been overcome and the abyss rendered impotent against the power of the resurrection. For us, love will always mean that the well-being of the other is more important to us than our own. The well-being of humanity was more important to Jesus than his own life. That's the model of love. That's the life that each of us in our own particular way is going to live, has to live. For without that, our own meaning of ourself is unknowable. Without that giving for the sake of the other, we are not who we truly are. That's not who we are. We don't exist that way. And so the world becomes an empty place, a hollow place, a place that rages with anger against the meaninglessness of human existence. Only in the giving of the self for the sake of the other does the meaning of life appear to all of those who seek to find purpose, understanding, and wisdom in the world. And so our human relationships become an expression of that love, especially when it becomes difficult, when we feel interior suffering and sadness, disappointment, sense of failure, inadequacy. In each of these trials, the wounded heart of the Lord speaks to us from the cross, love them as I have loved you, suffer for them, knowing that the mystery of resurrection and redemption always often lies buried in the depths of our pain as it did for Christ on Calvary. Those whom the heart of the Lord has loved unto its own vast emptying, they are worth our pain as well, 
their well-being is more important to us than our personal happiness. And so how do we, as mere humans, live at this depth where joy and pain encounter each other in our journey of salvation? How do we accept this sacrifice mixed with joy? Only in the mystery of the gift of Jesus to his people do we find that courage and that strength. In many ways, the grace of sacraments we have received, the discovery that we are loved more than we can ever love, the constant union of ourselves with the suffering and risen Lord, this we can experience in the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist, the heart of Jesus among us and within us. Actually, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, a young Carmelite sister, she died in 1909, I believe, at the age of 26, if I recall. She had wrote a letter to her brother-in-law's brother, who was a priest, the Ave Chavignard, and she discusses with him the Eucharist, and she says, isn't that a piece of heaven? We are united with Jesus. Whom, by whom we were created and through whom we are saved. That union, once free from the shadows of time and human consciousness, it is eternal life. That's what eternal life is, you know. It's not the endless, happy ice cream social in the sky somewhere. It's where we return to the source of our being in union with him for that eternal moment, the eternal now. We have that union in the reception of the Eucharist. It is clouded for us, as Paul says, through a glass darkly. Our consciousness can't grasp it. The obstacles within our own hearts to receptivity kind of obfuscate the meaning of it. It can become a casual practice. We can lose the sense of it. We can become very cavalier about it. We can be all upset. Why can't people who don't believe receive it after all? You know, it's what makes us community. Absolutely lack of comprehension. It is heaven. It is taking our eternal life now inside of ourselves as we progress along the journey of self-emptying and love to enter ultimately into union with Jesus Christ. We are almost there each time we approach the altar. And each time we consume the host and drink the cup, each time we share that gift of fire with those whom the love Lord has given us to love. And so on this very special day, when we celebrate the sacred heart of Jesus, we can together be the strength, the courage, and the hope that others need and others seek. We may travel our paths alone through life, but that loneliness is assuaged when we encounter each other in the common source of human love and companionship, when we encounter each other in the heart of Jesus. As we go forth from here today, let us renew within ourselves that deep faith, realizing that ritual and devotion are inseparable. One is the interpretive tool of the other. 
One is the teacher. One is a student. One is the giver. The other is the receiving. One is the mystery. The other is the understanding. One is the road to salvation. The other is the motivation to travel it. The heart of Jesus, fire, cross, thorns, and heart. This is the story of life, the story of redemption. All of the theological propositions in the world can be interpreted through the heart of the Lord so that we can become ourselves sophisticated Catholics in a real sense of the word. That is those with understanding, those with knowledge, those through whom understanding and knowledge lead to hope, trust, confidence, and ultimately to salvation.